Good morning, Summer Dam. It's good to see you all. Uh, fathers, I hope you're having a great Father's Day so far. Um, like Andy said, we're really thankful for each of you. Thankful for the way that you lead in the life of our church. And uh, we hope that you do have a fantastic day. Thanks for being here with us to start your day off. This morning, we're going to continue um, teaching through Jesus' parables in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 4. Last week, Brian talked about the first parable, and now I'm going to talk about um, the second parable this morning. But before we do that, I want you to um, just kind of think about confidence for a minute. Um, let me just ask you, what, what comes to mind when you think about confidence? The first thing that I thought of was uh, one of those cheesy motivational posters that you probably had in your classroom or in your cubby room in elementary school, or maybe you have in like the break room of your office. Um, I brought one just in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, something like that, right? Baseball player and in confidence. Um, I don't know if that actually works, but we use them like they do. Maybe you, um, maybe you think about something that you wear, like a favorite outfit, um, or maybe you think about the way you feel after you get a new haircut. I got a new haircut, if you couldn't tell. I'm feeling not very confident, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, or maybe, maybe it's the way you feel after a good workout. I know a lot of you are really active, really fit, and um, I know a lot of you do it because you feel really good afterwards, right? And so... Uh, or maybe you think about a person. Maybe there's someone in your life that you think of, like you look to as like they're a really confident person. You aspire to be like that. Maybe you think of a professional athlete. Um, maybe like Floyd Mayweather, right? He's a boxer. You probably think overconfident when you think of Floyd Mayweather. Or, or LeBron James, probably the same thing. Recently, LeBron gave himself the title as the best player in the world, right? Someone needs to tell that guy that that title is usually best coming from other people. Like you don't give yourself that title. Like other people call you that. Um, but... He doesn't know that, obviously. As what I was thinking about confidence, um, kind of one of the funny things about it is, if, like, it seems like there's really confident people that shouldn't be, and then there's really unconfident people that should be, right? Like, there's people that really think they're awesome at something, and they don't know that they're really not that good at it. And then there's people that really do have the skills for something, but they just kind of assume everybody can do it that well. Did you know there's actually um, a psychological name for this phenomenon? It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And if you look it up, it's really funny kind of how they came to study this. But it's actually a psychological reality that, like, incompetent people don't have the skills to recognize that they're incompetent at something, right? And then people that actually do have those skills just assume that everyone else does too. And so that's what they call the Dunning-Kruger effect. There's a little more to it, but... For our purposes, we'll just stay with it there. And I've seen this in my own life. I, I tend to fall on the side of the spectrum where I tend to be a little too overconfident, and I tend to think I'm a lot better or more competent at something that I really am. And I found this out recently on one of our elder retreats. And uh, when we do these things, um, me and Andy and Brian and Brian Turney, they, um, they always seem to pick activities that they know I'm going to lose at. Um, I think they know it's good for me. I'm a really competitive person. I like winning. I like being good at things. And uh, I think they know it's really good for my sanctification to get my butt kicked once in a while. And so they purposely pick activities where pure athleticism isn't going to cut it. All right? So like this past retreat, we did things like Settlers of Catan, okay? Or like disc golf or racquetball, all right? So I had played racquetball one time in my life leading up to this elders retreat. 
And they kind of sprung it on me like last minute. Like we were sitting at breakfast and I'm like, oh, let's go play racquetball. They, I think they've been planning this for the last several months. So we show up to play racquetball and on my way there, I'm like, I mean, how bad can this be? These guys are so old. Like I'm so much faster and stronger. Like I'm going to put them in their place. Um, needless to say, it did not go well for me. Like the whole time, Andy's taunting me, like just hit it harder, like just run faster. And if you know anything about racquetball, that's not how you win racquetball. You win racquetball by being smart, okay? Um, so it didn't go well for me. Andy asked me not to mention the part where I beat him, so I'm not going to mention that part. Um, you know, another example of this, I wasn't going to mention this, but I have to, because Brian takes every opportunity he has to talk about soccer. Um, a few weeks ago, he talked about our soccer team, and it's not like a church team or anything, it's a team that sort of was play on. And um, you know, he talked about how good we were, and how we were the best, and how we hadn't lost, and we were smashing every team in the league. And then the very next Wednesday, several of you came out to watch us, and we got killed 0-5. to five. Yeah. And what had happened was we had got bumped up a level, bumped up a league, so we were playing in a more competitive league. So we thought we were really, really good until we played with people who were really good. And we found out quickly, we're not very good. However, this past Wednesday, we won the championship, so we redeemed ourselves. Yep. Um, You've seen this in your own life, okay? This isn't, this isn't foreign to you. Like, you, you've had, maybe you thought you were really good at, like, a musical instrument, or really good at singing, um, because you sang with, by yourself in the shower, and then you got into like a band, or you got into like a choir, and you realized, wow, like these people are good at singing, and I'm not. Um, maybe it's actually the other end of the spectrum, where you really struggle to have confidence with anything. Like you're really gifted, you're really talented, but you don't ever see it that way. And so, I think whether you're you struggle with overconfidence, whether you struggle with a lack of confidence, like this is kind of a human struggle. It's it's common to all of us. And the parable that we're looking at tonight, what Jesus is going to tell us is like, we're looking for confidence in all the wrong places. Like we all should be confident because of our position in Christ, because of the work that he has done and is doing. Um, But that sometimes is the last place we look for our confidence. We look for it in things inside us, in our gifts, in our talents, in our abilities. We look for things outside us, in our finances, in our homes, in our cars, in our careers. But those are all the wrong places. And tonight, what Jesus is going to show us is how we can walk through life with real confidence. Confidence that lasts. Confidence that's genuine. So let's look down at that text that Andy just read. It's Mark 4, 26. That's where we'll start. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. So kind of what's going on in this scene. This is like a, this whole chapter is a discourse. It's like a teaching session where Jesus is teaching the crowds. He's teaching his disciples, his close followers. And in this moment, Jesus is very aware of how his disciples are feeling. Um, you can kind of imagine if you've been following along with us through the book of Mark, what it must have been like to hang out with Jesus. Really high highs, really low lows, where you know, one minute it's like Jesus is the most popular person in town. Um, and then Jesus just decides to up and leave and go to the next town. And so things, it seems like things are going really, really well for you, and then all of a sudden the guy you're following disappoints everybody, right? Um, and over and over again, we see Jesus disappointing people. We see him doing things that we wouldn't predict, right? He's really unpredictable. He'll, he'll like pay attention and heal a crippled man, and then he'll 
ruin the day of the religious leader who everyone thought he was supposed to be on the same team as. And so over and over again, we kind of see this, and you kind of see Jesus' disciples getting to the point where they're really confused, probably a little frustrated, probably a little disappointed, probably a little unconfident in Jesus, in the ministry, in the, in the cause that they had given up everything for. And in this moment, we, what we see Jesus do is he decides to tell them about the kingdom of God. And his purpose in telling them about the kingdom is to inspire confidence in them. All right? And uh, before we kind of unpack this, let's just park on the kingdom of God for a minute. Because I know that that language is probably a little bit foreign to us. We don't typically speak in kingdom language. We don't live in a kingdom, right? We're in a democracy, and so uh, we don't have kings and queens and princes. But for the original audience, I mean, they would have known exactly what he was talking about, um, in a way, as we'll see in a minute. But, you know, they had been anticipating this savior, this king, this messiah, um, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they were, and they lived in a kingdom, right? This is the Roman Empire, so they knew what it was like to have a king ruling over them. So when we think about kingdom, though, um, since we don't really have something really tangible to think about, let me just kind of help us understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about kingdom. He's not talking about a, a country. He's not talking about a physical palace. He's not talking about gates and, and roads and and villages, and, and all the things that we kind of think about, right? What he's talking about is a spiritual kingdom. He's talking about the reality of God's rule and reign in the hearts of his subjects, all right? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of that kingdom, that spiritual kingdom where Jesus is worshiped as Lord. So he's going to explain a few things about the kingdom to his followers. And um, he does this using parables. And so this text we're looking at is a parable, like we, like we mentioned. And what Jesus kind of does, starting with this and then moving through Mark, and you'll see it in the other Gospels too, is he, he uses parables to kind of give pieces of the puzzle to his followers. So he doesn't really give it to them all at once. But uh, Brian kind of talked about this last week where Jesus used parables kind of like a Swiss army knife. So like depending on the purpose um, that he was trying, or the the response he was trying to evoke from his followers, he'd kind of use parables in different ways. And, um, you know, just a quick illustration of this. I think, have you guys been to like sipping and painting, like those classes where you sip wine and you paint pictures? My wife really loves those. So we always get the Groupons and we go for like date nights. And she's really good, actually. She's a really good artist and I'm not. Um, but it kind of made me think about this. It's like, you know, you, have the, you start with this blank canvas, and you kind of, the, the, the difference, I guess, is you kind of know what you're supposed to be painting, but you can't really, like, see it when you're just looking at your canvas. And, um, you know, the instructor's kind of telling you to take this color and make this line, take this color, fill it in, take this color, make this shape. And kind of with each dab of the paintbrush and each stroke and each color and each layer, like the picture starts to come into focus, right? You kind of see what you're supposed to be painting. Well, in the same way, Jesus is using parables to help his followers understand what the kingdom of God actually is. And so he starts and he said the kingdom of God is, is this is, so if you're here like in this text, and you're listening to Jesus, like you have so much anticipation in this moment because like this is a moment you've been waiting for. Um, you, know, you have either given your whole life to follow Jesus, right, to this cause that 
he's called you to, or you're following him around, just kind of curious about what he's talking about, what he's teaching, and you have this, this expectation of what the kingdom is going to be like. Um, you know, some people thought it was going to be like a geographical territory. Some people thought it was going to be um, like a political campaign that Jesus was going to run, or some people thought it was going to be like a military revolt that he was going to lead. And so everyone's waiting to figure out like if their idea of what the kingdom should be is going to be affirmed. And so in that moment, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is, and he follows, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Anticlimactic, right? That's not what anyone was expecting. That's not what anyone wanted to hear. Um, I mean, basically Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is as if a farmer should scatter seed, if a man should scatter seed. Like, this is an agricultural culture. Everybody was a farmer, okay? So there's nothing exceptional about what Jesus just described the kingdom to be. You know, if you're, if you're there, you have to, you're probably wondering, like, is he serious? Uh, like, that's funny, but what is it really like? And, um, but Jesus doesn't, it's not a joke. He doesn't explain it another way. Um, what he's saying is, I'm going to build my kingdom in the ways that you least expect. He's saying that the kingdom is going to arrive unexpectedly. I was trying to think about some of the most unexpected moments of my life, and the thing that kept coming to mind, I feel like every time I, I teach, I have an outdoor um, example, but it's because I love spending a lot of times outdoors, as I know a lot of you do. Um, but some of the most unexpected moments have come when I've been in the backcountry, right? Backpacking or hunting or hiking, biking, something. And um, you, know, you guys know what this is like. like. You usually have an idea of where you're supposed to be going, where you want to end up, how to get back. But in Colorado, like, it, everything is unpredictable, right? No, no trip ever goes as planned or as expected, whether it's weather rolling in, um, whether it's someone getting hurt, like whether it's like an animal eating all your food, like it never goes as planned. And so I think what I kind of really resonate with is like that feeling of like being super confident in the direction that you're supposed to be going and getting to an intersection that's not marked and that's not on the, tra- or on the trail map. Um, and all of a sudden, like confidence goes out the window, right? Like all of a sudden you're like, um, I think we're on the right trail, but this intersection isn't really on the map, and that way looks like it could be right, and so does that way. And all of a sudden, you kind of start to panic, and you're not sure where you are. You're several miles from your car. But in that moment, if you're smart, you have a map, right? And if you're really smart, you have a compass too, or maybe you just have a GPS, and you pull those things out, and you're able to kind of see, like, okay, like that peak, I see that here. Like, this elevation seems right. Like, I see that creek that we're walking along, and you can make out geographical features that kind of, that map gives you perspective, right? And that perspective then inspires confidence. Because you're able to kind of step away, you're able to see the bigger picture, and you're able to kind of pinpoint where you're at or about where you're at. And some of that panic starts to disappear, and some of that confidence is able to come back in. And what Jesus is saying here is that following him, like doing life in his kingdom can be a lot like this, right? That shouldn't be too surprising. Like, if you have done life as a Christian for any amount of time, you know that there's a lot of unexpected situations. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is arriving at the most unexpected places of our lives. And, you know, I, I kind of think about this in two ways. In some ways, we can think about this in in bad things, right? Things that 
like Andy just mentioned, what happened in, in Charleston this, um, this past week. And like, obviously, that's a pretty unexpected situation. But as Andy mentioned, like, it's incredible to see the kingdom of God advancing in that city because of an extremely unexpected situation, right? Like, who would have ever thought that, like, this would turn out to be an opportunity for God to advance his kingdom in the lives of his church there in Charleston, South Carolina? So there's things like that. You know, I think there's... There's moments in our lives that they can either tear down our confidence or they can build up our confidence, right? And what Jesus is saying here is those moments that are unexpected, those moments where um, either things happen that are really bad or really good, or those moments when following him just isn't what we thought it was going to be like, like we need to choose to let those build our confidence in him and his, his kingdom and what he's doing instead of tear down our confidence. It can be in people. Um, it can be in some of your relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a dating relationship, you know, whether it's a friend. What, you know, it, we're all in relationships that it kind of seems like a lost cause, I guess, if we're honest, right? It seems like whether you've been trying to witness to that person, whether you've been just trying to get that person to come to church, like, they are so unresponsive and uninterested that it seems like a waste of time now. But Jesus is saying, no, like, the gospel is advancing there. Like, you may not see it, you don't know it, but the kingdom's unexpected. Expect the unexpected. You know, it could be in places. Um, it could be in your workplace where you've been there for a while now. You haven't seen any fruit. Um, you haven't really seen any of your coworkers be responsive to um, a relationship with you or hanging out with you, getting to know you. But he's saying the kingdom can still be working there, can still be advancing there. So I guess the question then here is, is how do you respond when life throws you unexpected curveballs? What is your immediate reaction? Are you responding out of confidence? Are you responding out of unconfidence? And so what Jesus is saying here is when unexpected things happen, your confidence should be rooted in me and the fact that I'm building my kingdom. We need to have confidence that God will do his greatest work in the places and the timing and in the things that we least expect. Jesus continues. He says, verse 27, he sleeps, he rises, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. So we could say the kingdom grows organically, or we could say automatically. Um, in verse 28, the Greek word for by itself can also be translated automatically. And so what, what we see here is the farmer isn't really doing anything but sleeping and rising. And the work of this seed is happening automatically without any human effort. On top of that, he doesn't even really know how it grows, right? Um, he kind of goes about his business and the earth produces by itself. And I think the really encouraging thing about this, for me at least, is like, Jesus is saying the work of the kingdom is just like a farmer. Or he's saying it's a lot like the routines of each of our lives, right? This farmer's routine is sleeping, 
Rising, sleeping, doing it again. And that's a lot like our lives feel. It's a lot like they are, right? We sleep, we work, we do it again. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my kingdom through the ordinary daily routines of my followers in ways that will often go unnoticed. It's not going to be through the exceptional, it's not going to be through the extraordinary, it's going to be through the mundane, it's going to be through the ordinary. Uh, James Edwards said it this way, he's a New Testament scholar, he said, I think we have it on the screen, yep, he said, the faith that Jesus requires of disciples is to sleep and rise in humble confidence that God has invaded this troubled world, not with a crusade, but with a seed, an imperceptible fifth column that will grow into a fruitful harvest. Now, I've never farmed before, um, but I have worked construction, and I know some of you have worked construction. Um, you know, it's Father's Day, so I'll tell you a little bit about my dad. My dad is an extremely gifted home builder and craftsman, and so growing up, basically, as soon as I was old enough not to be a total liability on the job site, my summer job was working with him building homes. And I didn't like it. I would not count that as one of my um, favorite summertime jobs. But that's what I did. It was a good job, and um, I don't think I really had a choice. Uh, I don't remember there being a choice, actually. So every morning, I would get up, I would go to work, and I would do the jobs that everyone else was paid way too much to do, and then I would go home exhausted, go to sleep, and do it again the next day, all summer long. And it was really hard for me to be able to see like, how what I was doing was significant to like, the bigger picture of the home being built. It was really hard to see how digging a trench or like, hammering in fasteners to floor joists was like, really going to contribute to this beautiful like, multi-million dollar home for people that had way too much money. And I had, but I had a confidence that my dad knew what he was doing. I had a confidence that if he told me to do something, that it mattered. And so I would do this day after day throughout the summer. And sometimes, depending on where, like what stage of the home was at, by the end of the summer, I'd be able to look back and see this beautiful home. Sometimes I would go off to school, um, like in college, and then I'd come back at Christmas, and we'd drive by the home, and I would see what the finished product looked like. And it was incredible. And it was incredible to know that the things that I thought were so meaningless at the time actually contributed to the stability and structure and, and building process of that home. So in the same way, life in the kingdom of God is a lot like a farmer, right? Or for my illustration, it's a lot like building a house. Like, it's not all glitz and glamour. A lot of it is the stuff that you guys are doing each and every day. And you might not have ever thought about what you're doing each and every day as, as kingdom work, um, because I think what we do a lot of times is like, we kind of want to think of, we like categorize like our spiritual things that we kind of do for God, right? And then the stuff that we just do because we have to, like our jobs maybe, or uh, maybe it's chores if you're a little bit younger. Um, and some like theologians kind of call this that secular sacred divide, where we kind of divide life into like the secular realm, and then we kind of divide it into the sacred realm. And what Jesus does here is he kind of shatters that divide, right? He says, no, like all of life is sacred, all of your life is kingdom work. Everything you're doing, whether it's changing diapers and arranging play dates, feeding kids, or um, whether you work a corporate job and you sit behind a desk, whatever it is that you do, it's kingdom work. It has a bigger purpose than what you might think it has. 
And because of this, we can work with an incredible amount of confidence. Because I think if we're all honest, like there's days when your job feels tremendously pointless and not life-giving at all, right? But when we look at our work from this perspective, like we can work with a confidence that it matters. We can work with a confidence that God's using our jobs for something much bigger than we are. There's no area of your life that remains unaffected by God's kingdom purposes for you. This is such good news. This is such good news if you're a parent, when you're raising your kids. Like, I know there's days where it feels like nothing you're saying to them is getting through, but the promise that we have from this parable is that the work of the kingdom is automatic, right? Like, there's, there's no amount of, like, perfect parenting or books we can read that's going to really make this happen, okay? Like, it's automatic. The, the seed that's planted in, in your kids' hearts, like, it contains the power and the mechanisms to grow. Same with, goes with, like, you city group leaders. Like, there's, there's people in your city groups that you feel like you've been investing into, pouring into, and you're kind of at that point where you've run out of ideas, you've run out of tactics, you've read all the discipleship books, but this promise here tells us that that seed contains the power to grow on its own. And I think it goes the same way with our jobs like we've already talked about. There's people there that this promise that the gospel, that the kingdom is automatic is tremendously good news. Let's look at verse 29. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. See here, the farmer doesn't know when this harvest will come, but when it does, it says that he puts in the sickle at once. And so we can kind of infer then, like, he's ready. Like, there's no doubt in his mind that the harvest will come. It's certain. So we can see Jesus teaching here the kingdom produces certainty. Like, there's no doubt in the mind of this farmer. There should be no doubt in our minds that the kingdom is coming. And here's where um, kind of the what we could call like the tension of the kingdom um, kind of works itself out. Like, so we talked about how the kingdom has come and is in the hearts of those who worship Jesus as Lord, but there's also this kind of not yet dynamic of the kingdom that's coming that we anticipate, that we live in expectation of, just like the farmer lives in anticipation of the harvest. See, the farmer, he doesn't really have any other choice but to expect this harvest, right? There's... No other option for him but just to wait, and kind of in that humble confidence that we talked about. In the same way, we're a people who live in anticipation of a harvest. We live in anticipation of Jesus' return and the establishment of his future kingdom. And this certainty that we have also produces an anticipation within us. And so, um, you know, people talk about Apple. I'm kind of an Apple fanboy. Um, and People talk about Apple as being like the masters of anticipation, right? Whenever they have like a product launch, it is incredible the lengths that people go to to get their hands on Apple products. It's incredible the way people rearrange their lives so that they can like watch a keynote, right? Or wait in line so that they're the first ones to have this product. And so people don't know exactly when that new iWatch or iPhone is coming out, but they live in anticipation of it and they rearrange their funds they rearrange their schedules, they rearrange their lives to get their hands on it. In the same way, 
we are to rearrange our lives in anticipation of the certainty of the kingdom, okay? So we know that what Jesus says about his kingdom is true. We know that he is coming back. And so this should influence and affect our decision-making. This should influence and affect our priorities, our money. Some of the most tangible areas of our lives, the certainty of this reality should change the way that we think about them. I think another area that I I found tremendous comfort when I thought about this um, is in the way that we rest. You know, I kind of have a tendency to think that um, I'm never doing enough, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, um, like as as a husband or as a pastor, like the work I'm doing is never enough. Like there's always more to be done. And so it makes it really hard to just rest. Um, I tend to think that it's all up to me um, and that if I'm not the one doing it, that it's not happening. But what we see here in this parable is it gives us the permission to rest with confidence. And not just the permission, but the ability to actually rest in confidence because of what God is doing, not because of what we're doing. This quote by Charles Spurgeon, I think, puts it perfectly. He says, But how may a good workman for Christ lawfully go to sleep? I answer, first, he may sleep the sleep of restfulness, born of confidence. Also take that sleep of joyful expectancy, which leads to happy waking. Take your rest because you have consciously resigned your work into God's hands, but do not sleep the sleep of unwatchfulness. A farmer sows his seed, but he does not, therefore, forget it. I think this parable gives us permission to rest like that. Not the sleep of unwatchfulness, right? We're still anticipating, we're still expecting what God is doing and will do. But we can rest knowing that he's the one doing it. It's not us, right? It's him. And that goes through true for all those areas of life we've already talked about, in our homes, at our jobs, everywhere. Guys, what I really want you to take away from tonight is that the kingdom of God is meant to be the supreme hope and confidence of your life. Like, this kingdom is worth giving your life to if you haven't yet. It's worth architecting your life around if you haven't yet. Um, There is nowhere else, there is nothing else that you are going to find the kind of confidence that you're looking for. There is nowhere else that's going to give you the confidence that the kingdom of God will. And I think... This is truest in the nature of the gospel itself, right? We all struggle with those feelings of inadequacy. We all struggle with those feelings, those insecurities. Um, We all kind of wrestle with whether or not our performance is measuring up. And what the gospel says is it doesn't matter, right? Because Jesus performed for us. He measured up for us. And that kind of confidence is found nowhere else but in the nature of the gospel. What Jesus says is the way into the kingdom is realizing that he's performed for you and so that we can be confident in that performance. And so if you're here tonight and that really resonates with you or you're not really sure what it looks like or what it means to have that kind of confidence... I really hope that you can find it before you leave here. I really hope that you will just take a moment to talk to one of us, talk to one of the pastors, 
And let us help you. Let us help explain this a little bit more. Let us help you find confidence in what Jesus is talking about in this parable. If you are a follower of Jesus and you still find yourself struggling with confidence day in and day out, which, like, if we're all honest, like, we do. We wrestle with that. Let this be a reminder that the things that you're looking for to find confidence are never going to satisfy, right? Those things are never going to provide the kind of confidence that the gospel and that the kingdom of God is meant to fulfill for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the wisdom that we find in parables like this and just simple, short stories that communicate such incredible truths about the gospel about the kingdom, about some of the most important areas of our lives. And I thank you for the way that a parable like this really speaks to the struggle that we have with confidence. Lord, whether we have too much of it or maybe we don't have enough of it, Lord, or ultimately we just put it in all the wrong places and we look for it in all the wrong things. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would really just help us to believe this, just believe that your kingdom is the only place we're going to find confidence. Lord, to really believe that the kingdom of God is worth giving our lives to and organizing our lives around. And Lord, I pray that we'd really examine those areas of our lives that, that you would prompt us to. Lord, whether it be our priorities, our finances, our jobs, Lord, help us to see all those things in a new light. Lord, help us to recognize the nature of our work as kingdom work. Help us to recognize that, Lord, the kingdom, Lord, should influence each and every area of our life. Help us to be able to rest with confidence because of what you're doing and what Jesus has already done for us. Pray this in his name. Amen.